Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Kevin, and this is No Longer Ashamed. We are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And we're here to share with you that if you're a survivor, you don't have to be alone. Our logo is a salamander, and the reason is a fire salamander can survive a fire, and you have survived a fire. We want to help you with your journey to healing and hope. We are all survivors together, and we walk this journey together. And you are not alone. By telling our stories, we are hoping that you will have the courage to share in your stories as well and find your voice. Because stories are so important, and for so long, I know that I wouldn't tell my story. But when I finally shared my story, that's when I got my freedom. And this is our journey and your journey to healing and hope. So come with us. I'm really excited to introduce our guest tonight, Andy, and he is coming to us from Florida, just moved there, drove across country. Um, Andy is a, he's been a worship leader and right now he's of course looking for a new job because they just moved to Florida. So um, what do you want to tell us about yourself? What do you want us to know about you before we start your story? I haven't really led worship in a while, but been in the Christian uh, rock group with my friends and uh, we released an album back in 2015 didn't it's just people listen to it it's affected people that are close to us what's it called it's uh, Give Him the Glory by Brothers in Arms. Mm. Brothers in Arms. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. I didn't know this. So, yeah. Let's see. I've uh, been a custodian at high school for about, well, with the subbing, I, I was there 11 years mm. at a high school in Washington State. So that's what I did for work and ministry as much as I can and serving wherever I can. That's- well, we're so grateful that you want to share your story. So I think we'll just throw it to you. And I don't know where you want to start. Some people start at the end and go forward, whatever works for you. So I, I guess I'd begin just saying that my childhood was probably not too different from a lot of people that are out there, but mm-hmm. our family was very dysfunctional from the start. Mm-hmm. So my dad married once early and had, I have a sister somewhere that I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I don't know at all, but I know mm-hmm. of her. And I then my dad married and he had two sons, me and my uh, middle brother. And then he, he did have one more child with another lady who had married. So I had three moms growing up. Mm-hmm. Which and four siblings then? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, the second family had five other uh, stepbrothers and sisters that were, I mean, five total, all of us mm. together. And so I kind of like to say that, I mean, in, in that second family was when a lot of the, the turmoil began for me anyways. And, and it was just chaotic for my brothers and sisters too, I would imagine. I don't know all of their stories because I was there for a number of years into my high school years and they separated and then I left that family and went to another family. So, but anyhow, uh, what occurred to me happened when I was in that family and I kind of, I liken it to, you know, in the world, couples get together because you start your relationship with, you know, maybe meeting at a bar or having sex and the sex binds the two people together before they even have a relationship. And then you think mm-hmm. that you can build a relationship out of what you created when the two people didn't know each other to begin with. And so that's kind of where my parents or my dad operated in that function. And then it was always about their relationship and the kids, we kind of orbited around the outside of the two of them and they weren't plugged in very well at all as to what was going on in our lives or, you know, who we were associating with and what was going on. And I mean, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but I mean, we had we had families come stay with us and, you know, their kids wouldn't be watched with our family members. And, you know, I have no idea what was going on with my parents. I tried to just stay out of that mess. Mm. 
now. So, so they basically the weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention. My wife says that I'm sometimes not, she won't say I'm hypervigilant, but she just says I'm very aware and protective, even yeah. with other people and their kids sometimes. Yeah. I'll, because I just, I stay alert to the yeah. fact. That you know, Andy, I still. Yeah, I so get that because that's something that I just thought everybody did until I started to realize it's people that have been abused that are hypervigilant. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes sometimes, sometimes the characteristic will be there regardless. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times if you've grown up that way and, and you were like, I was an older sibling. And so I was always trying to stay alert to, you know, the other kids being hurt or what mm-hmm. was going to go on at that time. Wow. So anyhow, I'll just... I mean, my dad, he was a hardworking man. I mean, he'd go to work every day, work hard and come home and then just, you know, not give much guidance. He didn't give direction as far as going to school or, you know, what, what to choose for, you know, or there wasn't too much of that, Mm. Um, but there was, uh, I mean, he, he did, you know, he did a few things. We'd go hunting together every once in a while, as long as there was a group of guys going or something. And, Mm. but that was later in my teens. So what I wanted to talk about and the, the thing that I'm trying to get to, I guess, is there was just, I don't remember a lot of it. I was, I was fairly young and I can't really recall the age that I was. I just know that it was, it was young. I mean, it had to be maybe six, seven or eight. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Five, six, seven, eight. Within that, that frame. But I know it had, to, I had to be somewhere closer to probably six or seven because I had the other kid, there were other kids with us when we went to a birthday party at a relative's house. And the thing that was odd when I think back is that I, I can't remember if it was my part, birthday party or one of the kids' birthday parties, but they loaded all the other kids and the two parents that were there, and they left me with the uncle that was there at the house. And it was odd that they all the other kids, and this guy was, you know, they said, he's taking a nap, just go lay on, because there were single beds in the room, two single beds. So go, go lay on the bed, and we're just going to go do some shopping, we'll come back. And so when they left me, he proceeded to show me some pornography, like it was some kind of a reward. And then, you know, I don't want to go into it, but things happened. And uh, when they came back and there was the party and I just was operating like nothing happened because, I mean, it was, it was like one of those things you get a pit of the feelings in, I mean, pit of the stomach feeling because you know, something's not right, but you don't know what it is that you're, you know, you're doing. Right. You're six. Right. You know, and so, and it wasn't until I was much older that I realized that, um, you know, that truly, it was my first sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And so when you steal someone's first, it's not a healthy experience. Yeah. You're, you're automatically put into a situation where you don't even have the choice to choose what that would look like. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Well, you know, generally, you don't even understand what it is right. that's happening. Right. And, exactly. but. I know even for me, I was so young, I wasn't even four yet, but I knew it was wrong. I knew there was something wrong about it. I didn't know why. I didn't understand. I just knew it was wrong. And from then on, it seemed like everything related to sex was just dirty or bad. You know, it just, it seemed wrong. And I think too, as adults, when we deal with it as adults, we we see ourselves as adults. We forget that we were, like you said, six. And when I, for me, when I was in recovery, I would see a kid the age that I was, and I would think, oh my gosh, they're just a baby, you know. But in my mind, I was that adult. I was an adult. It's so 
crazy how that happens. Were yeah. you able to tell anyone or what happened next? No, I don't think I meant, I didn't even mention it until much, when I was much older, that mm. it came to me. And actually it was after I came to know Christ mm. that I actually was able to uh, discern that yeah. that had happened. I mean, and the statute of limitation had gone by. So mm. I was actually, I don't even know how many years now, I don't know how many, but it wasn't that long ago that there was a funeral within the family and this gentleman was there. Mm. And so I saw him and, you know, I want to say, and I believe that I said, I was talking to Donna today. My memory is not the greatest these days, mm. but I believe I did walk up to him and just said to him, I remember and I forgive you. Wow. That was really and, brave. Uh, yeah. And, I, you know, he just straight faced me when I said it and that was okay. Cause mm. for me, it wasn't about, it wasn't about him any longer. It was about me. Wow. And I mean, you know, even sitting there, I still had, you know, it, it was, it was tough to sit I was, in the same room. Yeah. I was going to say, what was that like to, you know, be in the same room with? Well, again, I mean, the only, only because I know the Lord now, I was able to, you know, at least look at all of it. Mm -hmm. Every man has sin and the Lord tells us that no sin is greater than the other. Mm -hmm. And I know that I could put everybody in the same pot. I mean, my dad, I could blame him, still live in that blame and, and the shame of that and go, well, my dad wasn't a good man. But I think he used what he had to operate with, what he was handed by his parents. And that mm -hmm. doesn't make it right. I understand that. But there's got to be forgiveness there on my behalf. When do you think you got to forgiveness? Again, it wasn't until until I came to know Christ. I mean, within within the structure of learning the scripture, I came to a place where I, I knew that I had to deal with that even before I met met him or saw him again. When did you become so, a Christian? Uh, let's see. I've been a Christian. I can't give you. Well, I think it was in 1997, uh, 98. So you, were, you weren't a child. Kevin, same thing. No. He came to Christ later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, I never had any intention of forgiving my perpetrator. I really didn't. But it came to me i mean it was kind of led by he went and met a christian lady <laughs> well I, I became a believer you know after i, I met my wife and i i've been dabbling with the church but just searching for trying to find out where i belong and basically when we decided to get married i wanted my whole family to be there but that meant the person that abused me and i didn't know how that was going to happen and I started praying about it and started praying for help. And then there we went to a church and the pastor talked about forgiveness and talked about how in the Lord's Prayer, we are basically commanded to forgive. And at that point... Yes, and I realized I didn't want to hear that part of the message. But I knew I had to. I knew I had to forgive. And I, I started praying for God to help me forgive him. And it took me a while. It was probably weeks or so. But finally, I realized that it had happened when he became ill before our wedding. And we were worried he might not be able to make it. And I started praying for his healing and started praying for Christ to heal him. And, and then I realized... Pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> yeah, I had forgiven him at wow. that point. That's when I realized, okay, yeah. I had forgiven him. And I didn't even 
recognize that until I started praying for his healing and praying because I was actually concerned for him. Up until that time, I had to have serious boundaries with him because I, I suffered from disassociation quite a bit. And I had issues even just hearing his voice. I would literally just check out and I couldn't be around him. I, you know, I basically told him, if we're going to ever correspond or anything, don't call me, don't do anything. You can write me letters. That's it. Because the sound of his voice, you know, being around him, everything just triggered me too much. And yet, after I forgave him, I have never had any issues. I've been around him quite a bit. It's I'm very thankful that I forgave him because we're really close and it's completely changed. It was, mir- it was miraculous. Yeah. I mean, I literally. Yeah. What, a, what a blessing. Yeah. 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 And the, and the thing is with forgiveness, I, I just remember these two ladies on the podcast and they were like, we will not forgive. Uh, they were reviewing a book, the four agreements that said that we to forgive. And they said, if we forgive, we're giving them permission. We're giving them, we're saying it's okay. But what I realized when I was 14 years old, I went to a Christian conference and this is what the guy said. If you don't forgive, you become like the person you don't forgive because they take up space in your head. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful for that as an adult, when I look back, because I knew right then and there at 14, even though it was still happening, that I had to forgive no matter what. And I feel like as I have walked through it as an adult, the forgiveness was ahead of it, which many times it's the realization and then the forgiveness. It was for me, it had already been the forgiveness and then the realization, which seems odd. And I have, if I share glimpses with people, which I, you know, I'm on this podcast, but I don't really share Mm -hmm. a lot. People will say, well, have you forgiven? And I think, isn't that interesting that that's somebody who's never been through it, but that's their first question. It's like, that's never been an issue for me. You know, I think, I think in that though, too, it's like, when you're able to forgive them, it steals the enemy's thunder. Mm. Mm -hmm. No longer the hook. I like that. And therefore, if you're at peace with the person or, you know, you've forgiven them so truly within your heart, you're at peace, then Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the same power that it did to grip you, you know, with the thought memory of it. Yeah. You're no no longer in bondage to it. You're no longer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. when When we think about it, we're all pretty close to the same age. I'm always amazed at how our childhood is still affecting us at this age, you know, and yes, we've forgiven, but that doesn't take it away, you know, and like for you, you mentioned the hypervigilance for me. I mean, and when I'm at a restaurant, I can't sit with my back towards the door. I have to know what's going on. And it's funny because I just thought everyone was that way. And I had a friend call me out one day. She's like, what's going on with you? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you're not looking at me. You're scanning the room. Yeah. Yeah. So after you became a believer, that's when you feel like you started uh, dealing with this, realizing that. Well, well, you know that, I mean, I believe anyways, that when we're still in the world, I I always say when I witness to people, it's like you see the little cartoon, you get a little angel on your shoulder. (laughs) They're both talking to you. But the, the honest truth is, is when we're still in the world, there's no angel on your shoulder. There's only one voice speaking to you. Yeah. And that voice can tell you anything. So you can't really have the building blocks of, of healing 
yeah. until until the Lord steps in, because then you have true knowledge and wisdom and truth from where it comes from to decipher, at least for me, the, mm. the world, the rest mm -hmm. of the world, because we yeah. all operate in that sin mode until illumination comes and the spirit deals with the sin in us. Right. So when you talk about coming from childhood to an adult, I mean, there are many people out there, they don't ever get this healing. Yeah. Right. There's, there's no intervention with the Lord. Yeah. If they, I mean, they may have heard of the Lord, but that, that healing hasn't come yet. And they may blame the Lord. They could blame the Lord, you know, mm -hmm. or blame the person and just hold on. They can hold on to any one thing and make that their excuse. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's, an, I mean, an excuse for what happened. I just mean, you know, mm -hmm. people can say, you know, I went to church one time and I didn't like what they said. And so that's that. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I feel too, it's the Lord himself who illuminates the mind at, at the given time. Mm -hmm. And so until that time, I wasn't able to deal with really any of my past. I mean, as Donna and I grew, I mean, and even, you know, that's the great thing about having a partner is that as they go through things, you, you know, with the Lord, you're able to glean from that. And the same with the other spouse. I'll just share too, Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 was something that we both had to deal with. But I'll speak for myself. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. Right. Promise. Mm -hmm. Promise that it may go well with you and that you may have long life on the earth. Well, the, the hook in that for me was, and she brought it to my attention too, is that the Lord doesn't say, if you feel like it, <laughs> if you, it's right. He says, honor your mother and father, right. that it'll be well, yeah. you know, for me grasping that kind of thing. And then on top of just knowing, again, I, I would fall back to, they only had the tools that they had and yeah. it wasn't enough to even help themselves. Yeah. So, I remember going to a, some, it was called silver training. That's what it was called. And they had us visualize our parents as children. And I I know that that was the first time I really, in my heart, acknowledged what my parents' childhood was like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was like, it didn't let him off the hook for what happened, but also that, you know, it's like generation after generation. And even my kids, it took me a while before I got the help I needed and began to be a different kind of parent. And so they've got residual. But, but see, Donna and I too, we look at it like this. Someone within our family member had the break in the chain. Yeah. For yeah. generational, because right. it will go down to the next generation, the next generation. So our hope is, is that well, what mm -hmm. we handed to our children is enough to keep that chain unbroken within yeah. them. Yeah. That they're leaning on the word of God and that they're walking with the truths that they know to be true. And right. That it will to their children and the mm -hmm. grandchildren that I love that yeah. so my grandma my great grandma was a prayer prayer she prayed she prayer. started a church prayer. she prayed <laughs> she was a prayer and I feel like her prayers made a difference in my life even though after she passed I the abuse continued but I think when we look at the news this last week has been horrendous for me. The things that are popping up of children being abused. There's this one little girl who's missing and the family was like her family that she lives with was like, yeah, we saw her in, you know, like three months ago. And so, you know, that something is going on and my heart just hurts for these little kids. And yet I look at this God who doesn't interfere, but yet he 
offers his son, he offers grace, he offers mercy, and that we can call on it. And when you see people that can't heal, and they're living in a place of anger and resentment, because they don't know, they don't know it's a possibility. And for me, I think that that is the saving grace is that I never, I don't look back on my life and say, I wish that never happened. Right. Because that's to me, that's useless. Mm -hmm. But that, like you said, Andy, my kids have it better and their kids have it better. And then their kids' kids are even going to have it better. Well, that's the, that's the hope. (laughs) Yeah. To add what you were saying though, too, I mean, I'm, I complain a lot. My wife would vouch for that. You know? <laughs> I can't imagine. You just seem so chill. But, uh, but honestly, I mean, in those times, quiet times with the Lord, it's going back to realizing he already gave us the best that he could give. Yeah. Anything else matters, whatever we want to question, we can question. I, I like to, you know, allow the things of the Lord that are mysteries to remain the mysteries because God's not God. If you can put your finger on him and put him down, right? If we could get a hold of him, then mm-hmm. how could he be God for us? I mean, right. but, you know, the suffering and pain people, you know, that we go through, Christ told us, you know, it's not going to be a, a sleigh ride. It's going to be work yeah. and there's going to be pain and uh, pick up your cross daily. Mm-hmm. which also tells us it, I'll make it, you know, the yoke easy and the burden mm-hmm. light mm-hmm. makes us able to bear it, able to bear up under it. I'm not trying to sound super spiritual, but it's just, you know, when you do know him and you have the confidence in what he offers and know, knowing that God loves us, he loves us. That's, that's something that's so hard. I mean, when my dad didn't plug in all that time, and that was a hard thing coming to know the Lord, was that he loves us with such a great love. I mean, we can't, our minds can't even comprehend and wrap around what that is, that kind of love, yeah. honestly. Yeah. It blows my mind every time I try to think as deeply as I can about the love that he has for us. You know, Andy, I won't take the story away from Kevin, but his his story always amazes me because he didn't know that he was welcome in God's family. Like you were saying, God loves us. What I didn't realize was, you know, I I spent most of my life, I didn't go to church and I didn't know about it. And I felt like the people that went to church were good people and I wasn't a good person. And I just didn't feel like I would be welcomed or, you know, I would be accepted. I felt like I had to become a good person to go to church. And I just wasn't there. And I knew, you know, I was not a good person in a lot of ways, but I had always searched. I think Jesus was there through so much of my life and I was always searching for him, but I just didn't know he welcomed me. I always, until I started going to church and realized that the invitation was for everyone, including me. And, you know, I had been to a great deal of therapy. I basically came out about my being a survivor when a friend of mine, her sister came out about being a survivor and her sister was like, well, I don't know if I believe her because, you know, why hasn't she ever said anything before? And and I was like, well, <laughs> I believe her because I'm a survivor and I never said anything. And so, but I spent a great deal of time and therapy was helpful. It was really important. And I went to group therapy and that was really important, but I don't feel like I really got healed until I accepted the Lord and and gave my life to the Lord and really felt 
like I had value in my life. Because mm -hmm. up until that point, I still felt like I was damaged goods. I was just right. trying to fix things, you know, and that's what therapy was for, was to fix these things that were broken in my mm -hmm. life. But I was still just fixing things. That's all. I wasn't, I didn't have value. You know, we, I, I was taught that I didn't matter. And so I believed that all my life until I realized that I did matter, that Jesus loves us regardless. And he cares about us and we have value in his eyes. So we do matter and we have a purpose. I really, from the, a very early age, I mean, I felt like I was just doomed, basically. I, I never felt like, you know, I was going to matter or make a difference. And so, yeah, I, I really encourage people to go to therapy, to get help, to get professional help because, you know, it matters. But I, I don't think I've really had real healing until I became a believer. And that's why we do this podcast, because the power of the story and the statistic is 26 years. Can you believe that? It's That's like, how long it usually takes someone to tell their story before they will tell their story. It took me longer. It was 30 some years. That's funny because I mean, the math would be just about right for me. Really? I was 26, 27 when I came to know the Lord. Uh -huh. so, and that's kind of when you realize. Right. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I started working on the thoughts of the, the past, my past. Mm -hmm trying to you know, reconcile, mm -hmm. you know, what I had thought, you know, what I was holding on to and what I needed to try to give up to the Lord. So how, how was that journey for you? Who did you first, did you tell someone about it when you were first realizing that this is something uh, I needed to deal with? No, no, mm -hmm. no, not really. I get I mean, it. I just, I just dealt with it with the Lord praying prayerfully, uh -huh. reading the scripture and, uh, I mean, I, Donna and I have had plenty of counsel, marital counseling. And so gleaning a lot of from those sessions too, but not really, I think that's where I might've brought it up once mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. one of the gentlemen that was a counselor there. And uh, he kind of got me started on working on that, but that was, that was farther. I had already done some work prior, but mm -hmm. he helped with that. You know, it's interesting when we tell individually, like when we're out and about and his wife is a big advocate and she'll tell people, and it's so amazing how many people are like me too, you know, yeah. that whole me too movement. Yeah. And with men, it's a whole different thing. It's not better or worse, but it's very different. And so Kevin was going to do this by himself. And we decided I would join him because there are women too. But still, our focus is that w with men, it is a different kind of ball game. And I think that there are lots of, there is more help probably for women. There's more sympathy for women than well, for men. You guys connect differently than men do. Mm -hmm. I, you know, mm -hmm. women are far more open with each other than, than guys are when, you know, we sit and talk. It's like, we want to keep everything kind of surface most of the time. I think. Yeah. You know, gotta honestly. be, is that that tough thing? Is that, I gotta I be tough? The, the exterior, no, I don't, it's not yeah. something you put on. It's just yeah. guy talk, the way yeah. guys are around each other generally. But I don't know. Men generally but, don't share intimate or emotional stuff with each other. I mean, I have talked about my podcast with a couple of people at work. I, w I work in the trades. I'm an electrician. So okay. it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a different environment as oh, far yeah. as that goes. 
but I'm, like, I'm real close friends with a lot of these guys and we share a lot of stuff. And so I have talked about the podcast with a few of them, but it's always, you know, I kind of hold my breath when I share because <laughs> yeah. that is a type of vulnerability men don't open up to other men with generally. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast because we need to, we need mm -hmm. to be talking about this. This is, yeah. you know, people don't realize the scope of the issue with men. They don't realize that with the Me Too movement, we're, we're becoming a lot more aware of how prevalent it is with women, but people don't realize how prevalent it is with men. And, you know, with the whole thing with the Boy Scouts and the Catholic Church, it's becoming more apparent, but it's still kind of this, it's out there. It's the Boy Scouts, you know, we, we you know, only, you know, it's only those guys or it's the Catholic Church. It's rampant. No, people don't realize it's everywhere, you know, and, and men just don't talk about it. And that's yeah. why I wanted to do this podcast is just to give a voice, a voice to for men to talk about this, because it's so important. We've we've talked about this a lot. But when Kevin was going to share his testimony, it was a really big deal. He was his pastor asked him, and he was all in. But there was this conversation that we had his wife and I she's my very dear friend that, you know, people at church could look at him and say, oh, because he's been abused. He's an abuser. And when well, my assumed often, right. And when my, I was divorced, my husband was gay. And I can't tell you how many people came to me and said, well, did he sexually abuse your children? And, when and, they found out she was, he was gay. Yeah, yeah. And I was so appalled because he, he was so good to his kids. But there's that stigma, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stigma. And I, in church, we do Sunday school with the kids. And I, I was teaching younger kids. And now I'm teaching with the junior high kids. And so, you know, I was concerned that maybe some mm -hmm. of the parents would have issues. Yeah. And he told his pastor. He's I, like, I basically said, yeah. you know, if this is a problem, you got to tell me because... I don't want these parents to be concerned. And I, and my pastor was like, well, why would they have a problem? And I'm like, believe me, some people yeah. could, you know, it just, there is a stigma attached because mm -hmm. so often you only hear about men being survivors when they are also perpetrators. Exactly. And they say, you know, they talk about these, you know, people that do these horrible things. And then they say, oh, and they were abused when they were younger. And so, of course, that's why they ended up this yeah. way. So it gives the feeling that everyone who is abused is an abuser. And that was the thing when I first started in my recovery, I got so angry about yeah. because if you're abused, doesn't mean you're an abuser. Right. It's an assumption. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's primarily because no one talks about it. Yeah. You know, the survivors, uh, survivors that aren't perpetrators that aren't in the news that, you know, we don't talk about our side of the story. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do. Yeah. And again, story is so important. And, you know, just the people that have reached out to us and now are willing to share their story has been so amazing. We've been very humbled by, by that. And I think that if there's one thing that I can say is that I work in radio and maybe many of you have heard of Dave Niehaus. Oh, yeah. And he painted a picture on radio. 
And he told the story in a way that was just phenomenal. We all, all of us in the voice, you know, the audio and story so matters. And I know it takes this element of bravery. I think with women, it doesn't take as much of an element of bravery as it does with men. But I think when people hear the story and they've had that in their life, It's like this huge, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Yeah. A sigh of relief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, I know we need to probably wrap, but um, just wanted to say, I mean, the propensity when I I was younger was that, I mean, it took a while, like preteen and things like that. I was geared to not offend myself as in like, you know, but always looking for that new relationship to be sexually active with a female because that had been a light had been kind of shown in the darkness mm-hmm. and illuminated something that you know I still didn't I, I didn't know what to do with it but was operating in it yeah up until you know, teens and stuff and then started with you know realizing relationships needed to be in there but it was really clear when you know I came to know the Lord in my 20s but I mean who knows I mean what propensity do any of us have left in one state of mind with no no help in sight and no answers you know you could stay stuck in that you know what do they call it a form of arrested development really. yeah yeah that's... You know? and mostly because you don't know you don't know what like, you don't know right no, yeah who has been a father figure or a person that that led or showed you the difference or told you what was right yeah and especially if you were taught differently if you were yeah. taught that you don't matter you know you're yeah. just a object or um, you're threatened i know luke who He's been was on also our panel. In, yeah. in jail and Dan who was in jail has mm-hmm. been in jail before and and I have a friend who's a pastor up in Bellingham and he preaches to inmates up there in Bellingham um one of the things they say is there's a large amount of survivors in jail and primarily because their coping mechanisms get them in jail the the many of the ways they cope is through drugs and alcohol and and Often, in order to get these drugs and alcohol, they'll do illegal things and they end up in jail where they don't get any help for right, what right. has happened to them. And they just, right. it perpetuates the cycle. They get mm-hmm. out of jail. They've, they've been taught that, you know, they're a bad person. And right. they these learned behaviors, they never get out of them because there's no help. There's no, you know, no one's reaching out to find out what the cause or, you know, the root cause of what led them to get incarcerated. And often it's because they're survivors and, you know, they're just coping. And I know for me, my coping mechanisms <laughs> could have ended me in jails many <laughs> times. I mean, I, I abused drugs and alcohol quite a bit. And and Dan had been in prison, mm-hmm. gotten out, got clean and sober, and then he relapsed. relapsed. And that's when he finally made that connection. That's when he finally realized why yeah. he was so dependent upon drugs. Yeah, yeah. It's that self-medicating. Mm. Yeah, the coping. And, you know, when we're a survivor, you know, the coping helps us to survive. It helps us to get through. And it's hard because it's not healthy. healthy. And um, that's the thing. You have to realize that the ways we choose to cope aren't always healthy for us. They they helped us to survive to that point. But Mm -hmm. then we've got to find out what we can do so we're not killing ourselves in order to cope you know they're not they're no they're no longer needed yeah the coping 
know yeah. Right. Yeah. And that it it is a process, you know, like you said, you became a Christian, you started to realize that it's not this overnight. No, we're healed kind of thing. You no, know, that, it's funny because my 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 testimony is actually that the Lord did do an overnight work in me coming to him. Wow. But this category, though, it took more work mm -hmm. to get there. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if you want real quick, I'll just throw it in. So yeah. I was in a lot of bands in the 80s. I was actually in California and I you know, had been back and forth. I did a little bit of music in uh, you know, L.A. and then was in um, Oakland and that area for some time and had the long hair and the look. And we were trying to, you know, cut I love it. and, you know, dealing drugs and all those things that go with it. So one night I am uh, I'm going into a Denny's. It's like, you know, probably 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. in the morning. And for whatever reason, there was probably like a nine-year-old kid with his grandparents coming into the Denny's and me and my drummer were walking out, you know, black leather and long hair. And he looks up at us. He's got like a little a tie on and he's dressed up like they just came from church or something. I don't know what at that early in the morning, but anyhow, he looked me straight in the face and he goes, Jesus Christ loves you. Mm. And I went, thanks, dude. <laughs> But I, I walked away from that, and for that week after that, the Holy Spirit, because when he said that to me, within my spirit, I went, like, who are you to say that to me? But in my mm. mind, I was like, why am I offended by what that kid said to me? Wow. And mm. then I, I had to really think about why am I offended by the name of Jesus Christ when I mm. don't know anything about him mm. that was the first start of that, that trip down that road but uh -huh. so like probably less than a week i i've been doing drugs and, and and dealing and i i was feeling like i wanted to end my life really and i got on my knees at the end of my bed and i just i said like other people have done lord if you're there i mean i said god if you're there do something for me and you got to do it now because mm. if you don't and the next day I cut lines out and I tried to snort them and I would dry heave physically every time I even tried to put it in my body. And I was mm. like, oh my gosh, he's answering my prayer. <laughs> and then, wow. Yeah. And then, so no drugs, no alcohol and cussing too, pretty mm -hmm. much went away entirely mm -hmm. in that one night. So the man that I was before, it's not the man that I I was the day after, you know, wow. and from that time, just trying to gain as much information. Wow. Yeah. Perfection, but, you know. Yeah. He answered your prayer. Yeah. Yes, I teach a class for, to train people to become recovery coaches. And we always say there's many pathways to recovery. And, you know, I think that when it could be really dangerous, if we try to compare. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, it, this was so interesting to me. I have a, it's, she's actually my cousin. She's actually Jana's cousin. Uh, oh, their, their dear friend is Janet. And her dad worked at Como Radio. And I worked at Como Radio. We didn't work at the same time, but he would tell her, because he always had to listen in the car. He would say really nice things about me. And when he passed away, I went to his funeral. And I just remember thinking, here's a dad that was a dad. And when my dad passed, my ex-husband called me and said, Hey, your dad passed away. I go, oh, weird on our, on his birthday. He goes, no, it was our wedding anniversary. Uh -huh. And I couldn't even get a day off work. I was going to just go be with my siblings. And it was so amazing to see this one man celebrated, you know, and then for me to be like, good riddance, mm -hmm. you know, and I hate to say that, but oh, yeah. yeah, I understand. 
So that's it for today. We are going to have a prayer time if you want to stick with us. If not, we believe in you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories. If you like this podcast, please rate and review because that's how other people can find us. And we really want to spread this message. So, Father, I just thank you for this time together. I thank you that you are the the mender of hearts, Lord. You are the revealer of lies, and you um, break the chains, the bonds of the captive, Father. You are true, you are right, you are righteous, Lord, and justice is in your hands. I thank you for Jesus who came to love us all, to give himself for us, Lord, and that he makes us right in your eyes, and that all we need to do is have faith in him, in the work that he's already done, especially at this time, Lord, Christmas time, that he came and all heaven rejoiced because they could see the salvation that would come to mankind. They knew ahead of time, Lord. I just thank you that you made a way that we could have clear sight in this world, that we could help others, and that your mission is love. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. I pray in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for all your blessings, especially for the blessing of your gift of grace in our lives, regardless of where we are. You come to us and you tell us how much you care about us. And even when we're offended by your name, you still persist in our lives. And and the amazing gift that you have given us that we, we can't even comprehend. And Lord, at this time of year, we celebrate that gift, but we still don't even fully understand how much you've given us, Lord. And I just pray that for anyone listening that they would have a sense of awe in your name and what you've done and also how much they matter to you, Lord, that you care about all of us so deeply that we don't even know how much we matter to you, but that you do care. And I just pray that for anyone listening, they would have a sense of how much you care for them and they would want to turn to you and be with you. In your name I pray. Father, I thank you that you are the master healer. I thank you that you've given us free will, which has hurt so many people, Lord, but that because of that, we have the free will to forgive. Mm -hmm. Lord, I thank you for these stories. I thank you for Andy and the work you're doing in his life. Father, I just am so, it seems weird to say so grateful for um, childhood, for things that happen, but yet, Lord, uh, the world is going to go on, and there is evil in this world. And Lord, the the sooner that we realize that you, there was no other option for you, because we want people to pay for their sins, and Lord, that you paid mm-hmm. for that sin, Thank you paid you. for that sin of my dad, my grandpa, you paid for the sin of the uncles, the brothers, Lord, that. Um, that you are a good God and that we can have a redeemed life no matter what, that we can walk in a newness of you, that we can share our stories so people feel like um, they're not alone. And Lord, also that it's not this pathetic thing, but it's this victorious thing that we say it no longer has a hold on us, that we are free because of your love. We're free because of your death and that you paid the ultimate price. Thank you so much, Lord, that um, I just think of Hagar all the time, how she had to leave because she had this kid and Sarah was jealous. And and Mm. Lord, you just said, I see you. And that has just meant so much to me, Lord, that you see me. 
You don't see the ugliness that I'm always trying to hide. You see me and you see the, the girl that you created. And I pray that I will honor you and live up to the person that you created me to be in your holy name. Amen. Amen.